Welcome on this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spring day. Isn't it beautiful? Amen. Amen. We're going to bring some energy in this room by the end of the night. Uh, Because it's raining, it's still beautiful. It's still not snowing, it's not sleeting. We're starting a new series today. The title of the series is Why Christianity is Hard to Swallow. What we're going to be dealing with is the five things that folks just simply find difficult to believe and make Christianity hard to swallow. And um, I want to tell you real quickly, kind of a pre-intro, what I want to accomplish with this series, but then also what I don't want to accomplish with this series. So real quickly, um, what do we want to accomplish with this series? So our mission here at Missio Day, as you know, is Christ, community, and culture. And so for this series, I want to focus on culture. Now, of course, Christ and community is going to be woven in through all of that, but especially we're going to focus on culture because we're trying to reach into our culture to talk about and to dialogue with and to discuss with these things that hinder them or keep them far from God. And so the purpose of the series is not to be apologetical, which means to make a defense for your faith. And we're not making a defense against those people who are against us. You know what I'm saying? This isn't defense versus offense. This is just, um, I want to create an environment, um, a safe place, if you will, in which we can have a vulnerable, honest, real discussion about some real questions that people are struggling with. My goal in this series is that we'll actually have compassion and sensitivity and a broken heart for people who are, technically speaking, lost. They're far from God, and these five things might be, chances are high that they are, one of the reasons why they're far from God. So I want, to, I want our hearts to swell for them, that we will be open and sensitive and honest, and we'll discuss these things clearly. And I truly believe that if you have people um, in your network, in your oikos, people in your home or in your community or in your workplace or at the gym, just people you know, your, your own personal network, who do struggle with one of these questions or something like it, I'm convinced that they will welcome a vulnerable and honest discussion about it. I mean, they really will, as long as you're being nice and kind and compassionate and sensitive, like I hope we will be in this series. So that leads me to what I do not want to accomplish with this uh, series. What I don't want to accomplish, what I don't want to be, is the stereotypical Christian who has all the answers. Do you know what I'm saying? Another another way of saying that is um, never give a 50-cent answer to a $50,000 question. Do you know what I mean by that? When someone asks a $50,000 question, Christians historically and notoriously tend to give 50-cent answers. I'll give you an example. Someone says, well, if God is love, then how can there be a hell? And can we just be honest? That's a $50,000 question. I mean, I struggle with that. I mean, if God, I wish hell didn't exist. It kind of doesn't make you look so good, God, you know, because they've got a good point. If you're love, what up, what up with that, you know? And it's a $50,000 question. Someone say amen. Uh, but the 50 cent answer typically sounds like this. Well, the Bible says... Jesus talked more about hell than anyone else. And most non-Christians and Christians, I would submit, who hear answers like that will then say, that didn't answer my question. And that is exactly why I'll never be a Christian, because apparently Christians don't think. Apparently Christians haven't thought this one through. Because I just asked a $50,000 question and you threw a nickel at me. You know, I, I, I need someone who thinks in order for me to trust in their God. So what I don't want to be is people who have all the answers. Someone say amen. 
So can we all agree with that? We don't have all the answers. And let's just be honest, we don't, do we? These are hard questions. If you read these five questions, the answers are not going to be easy. They're difficult. They're, they're complex. And I've, some of them have yet to hear a really good answer. So we're going to try to find those during this series. During this series, I'm going to be using some resources I want to share with you. Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God. Excellent book. I mean, you know how much I love Keller. And so if you've not read Keller, this is a great time to start. You can also read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I'll be quoting that quite a bit as well. Okay, so all of that being said, I need to say one more thing in case you might have negative thoughts about me. I do believe in truth. And so even though I don't want to be the person who has all the answers, I do believe we also have an answer. Someone say amen with enthusiasm. <laughs> we have an answer, don't we? We do. Um, but the answer is not a 50-cent answer. It's a $50,000 answer to your $50,000 question, I believe. And so the trick, the question that we have to ask ourselves as we enter into the six-week series is, how do you talk, how do you engage culture, and how do you talk about truth with that culture if the culture doesn't believe in truth? Because if you know anything about post-modernity, is they don't believe in truth. Truth is relative. There is no truth. And so how do you actually say, well, I do believe in a truth, to a culture that doesn't believe in truth. And so that's going to be the title of this sermon, which is Truth and Freedom. Um, and so the introduction to the series is really going to be, let's talk about truth and let's talk about freedom. <laughs> because truth and freedom, whether you realize it or not, you will by the end of the night, are very much intimately connected. Very intimately connected. Um, and so this is a perfect segue from our 13-week study on freedom, isn't it? Uh, as we enter into now, what is truth. Okay, so we're going to talk tonight about truth and freedom. So here's the argument. Here's the great debate. Here's, here's the rub, the stink. Here's what it sounds like, okay? Christians think they have the truth, the truth, capital T's, the absolute truth. Christians think they have the truth, but non-Christians or everyone else in the world think their truth is a hindrance to freedom, and so for, therefore they have true freedom. So Christians have truth, but the rest of the world has freedom. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? This is, the, this is the big argument. A non-Christian will say of Christians and their so-called truth that their truth tends to oppress others. Their truth is their truth, and they want to proselytize and tell everyone that this is what you have to believe and this is what you have to do in order to obey the truth. And so they believe that Christians are intolerant. You've heard that before. And they hinder everyone else's freedom by telling them, you can't do that, you can't dance, you can't get an abortion. You know, that's a good one right there. Lots of things they say you cannot do. And then non-Christians will say, but if you look at Christians, they don't have freedom. They don't even have freedom themselves because their religion is full of stuffy rules and they're not allowed to do anything. So a non-Christian looks at us from the outside saying, I want nothing to do with that. They're intolerant, they're, they're, they're rude, they're arrogant, they, they hinder everyone else's freedom, and they themselves have no freedom. And this is extremely important because postmoderns, or people in our culture today, they see freedom and truth as being intimately connected. Truth, if there is any, will hinder your freedom. Because if there's something that's true, then it's going to have to affect you. But if there's no truth, then nothing affects you, and then you have what? Freedom. And this is, this is what they believe, trust me. Um, in fact, it's been ruled in the, in the Supreme Court. In 1992, the Supreme Court ruled this, listen, at the heart of liberty or freedom, at the heart of freedom, 
is the right to define one's own concept of existence. At the heart of freedom, freedom means you get to decide for yourself what's true. You get to decide what is meaningful, what, what, what is the universe, and what is the mystery of human life. So this, whether you knew it or not, it's been over 20 years since this has been ruled in the Supreme Court. This is what postmodernity is. Freedom means, it must mean, that you get to determine your own truth. You get to decide the meaning of life. If anyone else tells you the meaning of life or, your tr- or what truth is, then that hinders freedom. See also Christianity. So what we're going to do with tonight is deal with truth and freedom. And what I want to do is talk about, I want to explore what is the truth about truth And then I want to explore what is the truth about freedom. And then we'll conclude. Sound like a fair game? What is the truth about truth? What is is truth? You might have remembered that line from Scripture in John 18, the very end of John. Jesus is being tried by Pilate, about to be crucified. And Pilate says to Jesus, so you're a king. Jesus said, well, you say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? You heard his question, right? What's the truth? What is the truth? I need you to know that's a really good question that Pilate is asking. Or or I should actually say it's a great statement that he's making because he's not really being flippant. I think when I used to read this, I used to think he meant truth, whatever, you know, and what is truth, whatever, what is truth? But really what he's saying is he's saying something that people said a lot back then. He's making a very, very technical philosophical statement. His statement is, what is truth? Because what you need to know that at Pilate's day and age, at Jesus' day and age, this word truth was the buzzword. Everyone was talking about truth. It's kind of like HD is today, right? Everyone's talking about HD, this, HD, that. Back then, everyone was talking about truth. Philosophers were wrestling with what is truth. And by that, they mean what is it all about? What is, tr- what is true? What is real anyway? What is the meaning of our existence? What is our purpose? And so when Jesus says, I came into this world for the truth, and anyone who hears the truth knows the truth, and then Pilate says, but what is truth? I, I want to know. What is it? Yo. Socrates, Plato, before Christ, Christ, Pilate, Greek, Roman, they're all wrestling with truth. If you know anything about philosophy, you know it's still what we wrestle with, right? We're still wrestling with it. What is truth? There was a famous French philosopher by the name of Michael Foucault. Um, He was a a student or a follower. He was heavily influenced by another philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. You guys have heard Friedrich Nietzsche before. Uh, Nietzsche probably was famous for this one line, which he said, God is dead. That's what Nietzsche said. I used to have a philosophy professor in, in school, in college. He was not a Christian. He was an atheist. And he was... A goofball. And he would wear this ugly T-shirt. It was like dirty, wrinkly holes in it. And he'd wear it like every day. <laughs> and it would say on it, God is dead, in quotes. And then it would say, Nietzsche, you know, 1888-1921, whatever his birthday and death was. And then right below that, it would say, Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> and then it would say, dash God, and then the infinity sign. And that was so funny. It was so funny. And it was even more funny because he was an atheist and he didn't believe in God, but he still wore that shirt because he was completely postmodern because postmoderns are supposed to be contradictory, right? Like Madonna singing about praying and stuff. Um, so anyway, Michael Foucault was a follower of Nietzsche and 
Nietzsche and Foucault had the same beliefs about truth. And listen to what Foucault says. He says, truth is the thing of this world. Remember, Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. I come for the truth. Foucault changes that and says, it's, truth is of this world. And it exists, it comes, it is produced only by virtue of multiple forms of constraint. And it includes regular effects of power. So if I could spin that in modern English, what he's essentially saying is that all truth claims are power plays. Think about this for a second. If someone makes a truth claim, what they're really doing is they're power playing you. They're stepping up above you. Does that make sense? So here's an example. Say someone says, and they make, they make an absolute claim, all, everyone should care for the poor. All people should care for the poor. Well, if Foucault or Nietzsche heard that, they would say, huh, why are you saying that? Really? I mean, are you saying that because you're, you're really altruistic, you really care for poor people, you really want to help? Or are you saying it because you want to make yourself look good and you want to make everyone else look bad? So in a sense, you make everyone else feel small and at the same time make yourself feel big. And so you overpower everyone with your, everyone needs to care for the poor like I do. Or maybe what you want to do is you want to start a revolution where people gear in and help raise money for the poor, and then who's going to be the leader of that revolution? Obviously you. See, it's a power play. I could give you lots of more examples, right? But I bet you you can give me some too. Now, before you dismiss this too quickly, because it's because Foucault and Nietzsche said it, I want you to think about it for a minute. Isn't this sometimes what we do? I mean, maybe you've experienced this in the church. Someone says, all people must do this. All people need to have their quiet time at 6 in the morning with a cup of coffee, right? And then you start to say, "Uh, I'm small. I can't get up that early. You know what I mean? I don't drink coffee. (laughs) I don't journal. All truth claims are power plays. So before you dismiss it too quickly and say, that can't be true because Nietzsche said it, I want to submit that it might be true. And we're really good at it. Christians are. Now, please don't misquote me and start telling people that Michael loves Nietzsche. (laughs) I think it's true primarily because Jesus said the same thing. He really did. In Matthew 23, Jesus says this. The leaders of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So they've elevated themselves to the highest authority is what Jesus is saying. And they do so so that you have to obey them and do everything they tell you to. But they don't even practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift up a finger to move any of them. So Jesus is essentially saying of the leaders in, the, in, in Judaism at that time is they're all making up a bunch of rules, a bunch of absolute truths, and it's all a big power play. So they can be on the top, and guess what? They don't even do what they tell you to do. So you see, all truth is a form of power playing. So what's the truth about truth? Well, here's an interesting thing, too, as well. Even though it's true, and it can be actually submitted by Jesus and by you and I, that truth claims are power plays, it also can't be true that all truth claims are always power plays. You see what I'm saying? Because that's a truth claim. (laughs) And so if Foucault and Nietzsche say all truth claims are power plays, they've just made a truth claim. And if you think about it, it's the ultimate power play, isn't it? They've just controlled everyone else's truth claim. 
They made an absolute statement about all other absolute statements, which means they're in charge of what absolute statement is true and what true. You see what I'm saying? It's genius, really. All truth claims are power plays, but that was a power play. And I see now what kind of power it is. You now say there is no truth. Basically, they say anyone who makes a truth claim, don't listen to them. But you and I know they just made a truth claim, so don't listen to them. C.S. Lewis explains this beautifully. It's a pretty picture. He says it like this. You cannot go on explaining away forever because eventually you'll find that you've explained away explanation itself. People do this, right? They explain things away. Well, truth is no truth because truth will you know, get in the way of our freedom, and so there's no truth because truth is, you know, it's a power play. But you've explained that so far that you've explained yourself out the door. He goes on to say, you cannot go on seeing through, through things forever. Do you know people like this who see through things? Oh, I see right through him. Oh, people should care for the poor. Oh, I see right through that guy. He's, so, he's justifying himself and his little clique. You know people like that? You just can't go on seeing through forever, he says, because the whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it, right? The whole point of seeing through things is to see something on the other side of it. He goes on, it is good that the window should be transparent because the street or the garden beyond it is not transparent. What would happen if you saw through the garden too? If you see through everything, then everything is transparent, but a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. So to see through all things is the same thing as not to see. Does this make sense? You keep seeing through everything, eventually you see nothing. In other words, there has to be a truth. Eventually you have to see through everything until you see the truth. Or else you see nothing and nothing exists. So Mike, what is the truth about truth? (laughs) Have I answered that question yet? (laughs) I think I have. The answer is it's far more complicated than you ever imagined. Okay? It's not something that we can grasp with our hands and throw it around like a pocket change. It is deep, it is heavy, and it's been wrestled with from the ancient times, and it will always be wrestled with. What is truth? The truth about truth is it's complicated, more complicated than you know, and it's not something that you can control, okay? I have more to say about what I think truth is, but first I want to ask us, what's the truth about freedom? Let's focus on that real quick, because they're connected. What is true freedom anyway? I mentioned earlier that People in our culture today see freedom and, cult and, and truth as connected, and any truth will get in the way of their freedom. Therefore, they've fixed that problem by saying there's no truth. Now we have ultimate freedom. And in fact, the definition of freedom is the ability to decide your own truth. The definition of freedom, the Supreme Court said, is the ability to decide your own truth. So what is freedom then? I want to discuss this for a discussion question um, Here's the discussion question. Some people will argue that Christianity, with its rules and exclusive truth claims, is repressive because it divides communities rather than unites them and because it diminishes our humanity by robbing us of our freedom to determine our own path. Okay? Some people think that Christians in their truth divides instead of unifies and it represses freedom because it doesn't allow us to choose our own freedom. How would you respond to that? Timothy Keller says, people think that what it means to be truly human, this is important, is to be free to choose their own path. That what liberates humanity is to be free of restraints that dictate how we should live. So freedom means you're not not dictated on how you should live. But in many ways, Keller adds, 
this idea, which is the free, that freedom is the absence of restraints, misses the complexity of what freedom is, as you were both saying. Um, f- so, so non-Christians and even Christians tend to believe that freedom, by definition, means the absence of restraints. And Keller's saying, but that is to, uh, to fail to see the complexity of freedom, because freedom is not necessarily the absence of restraints. And so Keller gives three examples in his book, and I want to, I want to share those to you. Um, first is the example of a diet, second of a fish, third is of the movie iRobot. First is about a diet. You know this already. You can't eat whatever you want, <laughs> right? I mean, true freedom would be, I get to eat whatever and how much I want. <laughs> but you also know that you can't. I mean, there, there at least comes a time in everyone's life when the doctor says, look, I know you love those, but you got to stop eating those. But I love those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so freedom is not you get to eat whatever you want and then when the doctor says you can't eat this you feel like it's a stamp on your, against your freedom I can't do what I want to do but true freedom comes from recognizing that I need to not eat this because if I restrain myself from eating this I'll remain healthy and if I remain healthy I'll have the freedom to run perhaps or play or swim or, or, or wear a bathing suit at the beach you know what I mean or not get a heart attack and die Because if I do eat these things, then I won't have the ability to run and swim and play, and I'll probably have a heart attack, and I'll probably die, and that's not freedom. So true freedom really comes from recognizing that I need to restrict this caloric intake so that I can have this amount of freedom in my life. But if I'm enslaved to this amount of food, then I'm not going to have this amount of freedom. So you see, freedom is not the absence of restraints. It actually might be the presence of restraint. That is even more so seen in the fish. The fish has restraints, right? He's restrained to the sea. If a fish says, well, that ain't freedom. <laughs> I want out of this sea. And he flops onto the sand. He's going to quickly experience that that's not freedom either. <laughs> In fact, it's less freedom because all he's going to do is kind of flop around there and he's not even going to have the freedom to move or the freedom to get on out the door and the freedom to breathe even. <laughs> and then he's not even going to have the freedom to live because he'll be dead really quickly, right? So the fish knows That freedom can't be the absence of restraints, because if there were no restraints, then I'd flop onto every beach I see, and then I would not be able to move, and I'd have no freedom. So freedom is not the absence of restraints. But freedom, by definition, does mean the absence of restraints. (laughs) Doesn't it? Doesn't freedom, by definition, mean you once were chained, but now you're free? Go, do, be free. So freedom is not the absence of restraints, but freedom is not the presence of restraints kind of like truth. All truth claims are power plays, but not all truth claims are power plays. What are you trying to say, Mike? (laughs) What is the truth about freedom? Well, freedom is more complicated than you think, just like truth, and partly because freedom is connected to truth. Now, I mentioned before that postmoderns connect it intimately, and what they do to fix it is they say, no, there is no truth, therefore I have ultimate freedom. But I believe that if we truly understand the complexity of truth and we truly can understand the complexity of freedom, we'll connect them together and we'll see that true freedom comes from the truth. And so it's not the absence of restraints, and it's not the presence of restraints, but it's about the right restraints. Does that make sense? The true restraint. Jesus said, if you... Hold to my teachings, that's a restraint, right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to know the right restraints, the true restraints. And once we know the true restraints, 
like the fish, we'll say, oh, I can't go into the land. And then we'll say, okay, I won't go into the land, but now I have freedom to swim, to eat, to play, to frolic. That's where the movie iRobot comes in. So how many of you have seen the movie iRobot? Anyone? 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 Okay, good, good. A couple of cool people here. Um, <laughs> so the movie iRobot has Will Smith in it, if that rings any bells. Um, it's about um, robots. <laughs> and the robots want to take over the world. And there is a main character, he's a robot, and his name is Sonny. And Sonny was designed by his programmer, and he was programmed to stop the robot destruction um, war. Yeah, thank you. And so Sonny does that. He, he stops the robot rebellion. And at the end of the film, um, Sonny has this hole in his heart. He has these feelings, and he, and he expresses those feelings to um, Detective Spooner, who's played by Willie Smith. Sonny says, now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. And Detective Spooner says, well, I guess you'll have to find your way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. So essentially, Spooner was saying, it's like you're not a robot anymore. It's almost like you're almost a human, Pinocchio. You, you, you are like us in the sense that you're free to determine your own path. You don't have a programmer telling you what you have to do, which makes you a robot. Instead, you have the freedom, like us humans, to do what you want. And what I need you to hear is that what Detective Spooner says there, or what the author made him say there, is, the, is a clear, adequate, accurate expression of postmodernism. If there's a design program, a set of divine directives from your maker that you have to comply with, then that's dehumanizing and it makes you into a robot. If there's rules that you have to follow, then you can't be free. And if you're not free, then you're not a human. And if you're not a human, well, then you're a robot. So I need you to see that that is postmodernism. Perfect, perfect picture of it. But on the flip side, I also want you to see, and please hear this, that Sonny's response I think is the clear, accurate expression of the Christian position. He says, I don't know what my purpose is. See, for a Christian, I believe this, that to me, to hear someone say true freedom is to not know your purpose and to run around aimlessly trying to find your purpose, that doesn't sound very freeing to me. In fact, that sounds very enslaving. It sounds like you're lost. And I don't like being lost because when you're lost... You're lost, right? And you're enslaved to that lostness. Have you ever been lost? You, you, it's, like, it's like nothing else matters, just getting out of this lostness. And so you can't have fun. You can't make a phone call. You can't talk normally. You, you're, you're just, it's all about getting, you're not free to do anything, but get out of your lostness. One psychologist said the human creature is the only creature that actually moves faster when they're lost. <laughs> it's so true, is it not? Man, I lost and I start going 89. <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't even know where you're going. It doesn't matter, I'm going somewhere fast. <laughs> it's because we don't like being lost. And so freedom, the non-Christian, the postmodern says, freedom is the ability to choose your own path, to figure out your own meaning. But I don't find that to be very freeing at all. Christians believe that we have a designer. We have a programmer. We have a directive that has been given to us by our programmer. And like Sonny, we don't have any freedom until we know what are we supposed to do with this life? What is my truth? So the question we have to ask ourselves about truth and freedom is, what is your truth? What is true for you? Now, I know that sounds very postmodern, but hear me out. 
what is it that we must know? What, what are, the, what are the, the restrictions, the things that we need to know? Like the fish knows he can't go out of the water. What is it that we need to know and then submit to that in order to experience true freedom and joy like the fish experiences? This is what the philosophers were wrestling with. What is truth? What is the meaning of life? Tell me what it is. And once I know what it is, then I can apply that to my life. I can submit to that. And then I'll experience true freedom. That's why Jesus said those things. He says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Once you know your truth, what your meaning is, what your purpose is, then you'll find true freedom. Not aimlessly running around lost freedom, but real freedom. So what's the answer to this question? What is your truth? Why were you created? What is your meaning? And at the risk of sounding trite, or at the risk of giving what sounds like a 50-cent answer, but I'll assure you it's not trite, and it's certainly not a 50-cent answer, I will give you the answer to this question. What is your truth? What is your meaning? The answer to this question is the same answer that every question that we ask as Missio Day gets? You know the answer, right? What's the answer to every question we ask at Missio Day? What's the answer? Someone say it louder. Jesus. And again, it's not a 50 cent answer. What is truth? Jesus is truth. And Jesus is freedom. And this isn't a 50 cent answer. This isn't a trite answer, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. The first passage I shared with you was from the Apostle John. It was at the very end of the book of John, and John is dealing with truth. Jesus says, I've come for the truth. Those who know the truth, they, they, they have freedom. And then Pilate says, what's truth? But in the very beginning of John, it's like John has this thing about truth. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a human. And he, we've seen his glory, and it was full of grace and truth. So I need you to know that John is heavy, man. If you've read John, you know he's heavy. And he is using some big, powerful, technical, philosophical terminology in these few verses. He opens up his book by saying something that doesn't make any sense to you and I. In the beginning was the word. What word? <laughs> the word. <laughs> word up. <laughs> yeah, what's the word? <laughs> and it was God? What? The word is God? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to us, does it? And maybe you might even be tempted to think that he's talking about the Bible. <laughs> In the beginning was the word of God, a.k.a. the Bible. No, it's not what he's saying at all. He's actually using, at that time period in Greek, one of the most powerful, technical, philosophical terms that a person can use. It was a big, heavy term that snotty philosophers would use when they want to talk about the meaning of life. They would say, logos. He's not saying word, really. I don't know why they use the word word. I guess they couldn't think of a word. How about just use the word word? Okay, we'll use the word word. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The word is logos. It's where we get the word logic or reason. So what is the reason for your life? That's what philosophers would think. They'd sit around and smoke a hookah and they'd say, what is the meaning of life? What is the reason for our existence? What is the truth really, man? What's it all about? What's the logos? And what John is saying here, the truth, the meaning of all life is not a set of rules. It's not a bunch of restrictions. It's not dehumanizing 
robotic. It's actually the opposite of dehumanizing. It's a human. The truth is a human being, and his name is Jesus. There is such a thing as an absolute truth, but it's not an absolute set of commands. It's an absolute person. And that person is going to give you meaning and purpose in life, and he is your truth. Timothy Keller says, if the truth is a set of commands, that is indeed dehumanizing. If I have the truth and I say, you cannot wear jeans and you must listen to this kind of music, that's dehumanizing. You can't be true to yourself. You can't be, you know, jazzy. But Keller goes on to say, but if it's a person, then that's the opposite of dehumanizing. It's liberating. It's freeing. Jesus said it like this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What he means by that is, I'm the meaning of life. I'm the truth. I'm what it's all about. I'm, you want to know your path? You want to find your own path? Don't go find your own path. I got your path. I'm your path. That's the meaning of life. What this means is that, see, non-Christians, I think, look at Christianity, and they think the way and the truth and the life, they think all of that is a bunch of rules, a bunch of restrictions that we have to put on you so that you have to live a certain way, and if you don't, you're going to hell. And that's our fault, to be honest. They think that about us because we, for so long and for too long, have made it all about the rules. It's not about the rules. It's not about the restrictions. It's about a person. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, like the philosophers ask ourselves, like Pilate asked himself, is what is my truth? Like the fish. If I know my truth, like the fish knows his truth. Look, the fish figured out his truth, and now he's enjoying freedom in the sea. If I could figure out my truth, I could enjoy freedom on this planet. What's my truth? Jesus. You were made, you were designed by your maker, you were programmed, you were built for a relationship with Jesus. A person, not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of commands, a human being. And so you exist to love Jesus, to be in a relationship with Jesus, to talk to Jesus, to serve Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, and you exist so that Jesus can love you and can talk to you and to give his life to you and to serve you, and to pray for you. So the meaning of life, the purpose, truth, and freedom is Jesus. Now, I want to tell you why I think you can trust Jesus. Because let's be honest, you might be sitting there thinking, Mike, I don't know what you just did. And you're talking about truth. <laughs> and that was confusing. And then you talk about freedom, and then you really confuse me. And then somehow you brought it all back to Jesus like preachers always do. <laughs> and I don't know where you're going with this, but gee whiz, I feel tricked. <laughs> and what I feel like you tricked me into feeling <laughs> is that in order for me to experience real truth and real freedom, I have to sell out and give my whole life to Jesus. And I don't know why, but that feels like a trap. That feels like if I give myself to Jesus, then, well, I have to give myself <laughs> I have to surrender it all. And it feels like the, op the opposite of what I, every bone in my body is telling me about freedom. So I want to tell you why I think you can trust this Jesus. Because Jesus does want you to give your life to him. He does want you to follow him. But he also wants you to know that when you do, you will experience the truth. And that truth will set you free, more free than you would ever be. Here's why I think you can trust him. Because Jesus surrendered his life. Because Jesus gave up his freedom. 
Jesus, who was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to cling to and hang on to, but instead he let go and he fell down on the earth and became a human. He says, look, I'm not going to cling to what I have every right to cling to. My freedom would be to stay up here, but, but, but I'm going to let go of that freedom and become a human. And not only that, but I'm going to, be, I'm going to put myself into slavery. I'm going to be enslaved to death. I'm going to be enslaved to the cross. I'm going to be enslaved to death and the cross so that I might give you life to the fullest, so that I might give you total truth and freedom. And so Jesus is saying, look, I know it's scary. I know it sounds, you know, like you're going to jump into the rabbit hole or you're going to take the blue pill. But, but I want you to know that you can trust me on this because I'm not asking you to do anything that I've not already done. In fact, I've done it way better, way more. <laughs> I'm not asking you to die on a cross. I'm just asking you to trust me. And then I will give you the truth. And then that truth will set you free. And so if that's you tonight, now's your opportunity.